Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible, we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 2. But before we get to Acts, uh, I mean, sorry, before we get to 1 Corinthians 14, um, I just want to say that today's text, the, the, the conversation we're going to have today out of this text, this is a slippery text, okay? So if you've been around church for a while, um, I remember when we were in our 10-man table last year, um, we got to this section of 1 Corinthians 14, and everybody knew we were in 1 Corinthians, and they're like, man, can't wait till you get to that one. So today's the day. We're, we're here. And um, my guess is, um, if, you're, if you're not familiar with this place, what you'll do is you'll experience different people from different church backgrounds around here. So some of us maybe have, have come from more of a conservative uh, background as far as a church goes. Some of you maybe grew up going to um, more of a high church uh, like a Lutheran or Catholic or maybe Anglican service was a little bit more ordered. Um, some of you came from more of a charismatic movement churches where services are a little bit less ordered. Um, and some of you didn't go to church at all and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right on. You're all welcome. It's a melting pot of church experience. So what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack a section of scripture that has um, a lot more of the charismatic feel to it. So if you've come from this, you might know what I'm talking about, and you're like with me. And for some of you, you're like, what? What's going on? But the beauty is, is there's healthy diversity in this place, and what it's going to help us do is kind of beat up on some agendas. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just allow the Spirit to show us with fresh eyes what is happening here. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2 is something we call Pentecost. It's actually um, named after the Jewish feast that the people would have um, that they, when, when they celebrated uh, the giving of the law. So in the Old Testament, the celebration of the giving of the law was the feast of Pentecost, okay? And, and what we have is the, the Jewish people gathered in uh, Jerusalem, and this is after Jesus uh, died and rose again. And the story we're about to read is, is kind of where we get this word, Pentecostal, okay? Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The word for tongues in Greek is the word glossa, where we get the word glossary. It literally means languages, is what it means. And so they began to speak in other languages in the moment. It was really interesting. So turn over to Acts chapter 10, okay? The, the word, the church spreads from there, and it, and it continues to move forward. Um, and the Jews in Jerusalem start to move the message out up into Caesarea. There's a guy named Cornelius, um, not the one from the snow movie, like the Christmas movie, not Yukon Cornelius, different one. And, and Cornelius, I don't know why I went there, Cornelius 
asks Peter to come to his house and tell the story of the gospel, okay? And so Peter heads up there, and it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, he's, he's preaching to this household, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Verse 45, the circumcised believers, which I think is hilarious. Um, right, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, what kind of a believer are you? I must, never mind. Okay, who had come with Peter, so the Jewish circumcised believers that had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. Okay, this was a huge deal. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Skip up to Acts chapter 19. Paul is planting churches all over the place. At this point, it's, it's starting to hit the upper Mediterranean. And um, while, it says this, And while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, and here's, here's what Paul is getting at. There's, there's something that happens, okay, because when you believe in Jesus and when you switch your whole life allegiance, okay, over to Jesus and, and out of yourself and out of the flow of this world into the life and, uh, and the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, something happens. And at that moment, God's active, dynamic spirit comes into your life at that moment. And, and you and, and really kind of reconnects you to God. And so they answered, he says, so we have, they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? Uh, John, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, okay? He told them that the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. So he's, he's, he's hearing from them and they, they understand part of the story. See, so he says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, these are just samples. All throughout Acts, uh, we see samples and bits and pieces and pictures. When the Holy Spirit comes on uh, people, often, not always, but often, the byproduct and the after effect is that they speak in tongues, okay? That's what scripture lays out for us. Now, before we get to 14, we're gonna go back to chapter 12, okay? Because this is really important for us. Now remember, okay, I just want us to remember, we've been in this long conversation in Corinthians, but 12 through 14 is a chunk of scripture that goes together, Okay? And remember we talked about how chapter 13 is the love sandwich part, right? 12 and 14, and they all ha it all has to do about what happens every week when the people of God gather. That's what this is all about. And that's why we name this series Undivided. Because it's about what happens when we as the body of Christ come together on Sundays to worship um, to encourage each other. What does that look like? And so remember, the Corinthians were doing all sorts of crazy stuff, right? 
They were having these wild communion drunk parties, right? There was, there was the richer people were actually pushing out the poorer people. They weren't getting a seat at the table. They weren't being able to experience it. Be like the rich people would be, you know, doing everything they wanted to do, and the poor people were kind of at the margins. Um, there was speaking, and there was just this crazy. It was just a crazy, chaotic experience, and people were trying to one up each other, and it was messy. And we get to chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says this, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He says God's Spirit, I mean, the reality is God's Spirit is always with you. If you're following Jesus, God's Spirit is always with you. But when you get together with two or three or 20 other of God's people, something really, really powerful happens. Like my words end up with the spirit. My words end up encouraging you and affecting you and convicting you and your words and your, in, in the spirit, it, they, they affect me and they convict me. And there's this just beautiful building up that happens. So do not downplay what happens when you, when you see God at work through the other followers of Jesus in your lives. And that's why, that's why we always want you to connect with people and, and do life together and encourage each other. And he says this in verse 8, says, to, the one, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determines. Now, in that list, where does Paul put speaking in tongues? Next to last, right? At the bottom. Now, skip ahead to verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Where's the, that on the list there? Where does Paul put tongues? It's, it's, it's also last. And then it continues on. He says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues and do all interpret? No. But he says this, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Paul's making a subtle point here. His point is the Corinthians are actually thinking that speaking in tongues is the ultimate sign of spirituality. It's like you have arrived, that God has somehow found some kind of favor with you, and you are elevated higher than the people around you. And so that being the case, um, when we start in chapter 13, verse 1, and Paul says, if I speak in tongues, right, of men or of angels, 
right? He's like, but, but I don't have love? What? I'm a, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You remember that? Now, what's interesting is that Paul uses men or of angels, right? So of men, of ordinary men, of people, or of angelic beings. It's like the people walking around going, hey, yeah, I speak angel, <laughs> right? Like there's something to, like Paul is, is attacking the fact that some of them are bragging that they speak in tongues. And oh yeah, well, I speak archangel. You know, or like, you know, like there's like the, Paul's saying, it, it doesn't matter what language you speak. If you don't have love, you're like, you're like a clanging cymbal. So what Paul's trying to do is dial them back. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's going to demolish this mindset. And the mindset, he starts off with this. Follow the way of love. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially what? Prophecy. Prophecy. Now, love poem, we just finished the love poem. And the love poem's not a tangent uh, that Paul throws in there so that you'd have something to read at your wedding. It's actually everything to do with what we're about to talk about. Not that reading that at your wedding is wrong. But that's not the point of why Paul wrote it. He's like, man, there's going to be some weddings coming up. I just want to get in that. Um, but he says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, remember, spiritual gifts. Remember our conversation? The word gifts isn't in there. Paul never puts the word spiritual and gifts together. You and me grew up hearing things like, hey, what's your spiritual gift? Remember that? Or you can go online and figure it out, like by doing a quiz. That's not what Paul is getting at here. See, the problem is because for the last hundred plus years, spiritual gifts has been a technical term, and it's like these Spider-Man gifts. Like, I got this, I got that. What do you got? Like, if we if we team up together, you know, like an X-Men movie. Never mind. So that's not what Paul is getting at here. The word spiritual, he, he actually, the actual word here is pneumaticos, which literally means spirituals, which means the stuff the spirit does, which means the emphasis is on the spirit, not the gift, or what we consider the gift. And so Paul's emphasis is on the spirit, not on the things that happen because of the spirit. So for the next 40 verses, what we're going to do is we're going to compare and contrast tongues and prophecy, but we're not going to do it all today. So today we're just going to talk about tongues. Next week, we're going to talk about prophecy. And there's some other fun, crazy, controversial stuff in there too. And then we're going to be at the end of this section that talks about how we gather as a church. So are you scared or nervous or, or just no? Okay, if you're not, that's okay. Here's where we're going to start. The plan is the working definition of speaking in tongues is this. It's a form of prayer or praise that you express, but you do not understand. Now, for those of you that's very foreign to you, um, hang with me. For those of you that this is a part of how you've worshipped God for many years, hang with me. It's not, it's not bad uh, we're, we're not the kind of church that says, don't do that. We're also not the kind of church that says, that's not, or, that's not um, that, that doesn't happen anymore. 
There's churches like that that say, no, that doesn't happen anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to unpack what this means in regards to our gathering on Sunday mornings. And if you go, hey, I don't speak in tongues, and I really don't know anybody who does speak in tongues, so I'm just going to check out over the next few minutes, please don't. Because this really does have a point for all of us today, okay? So for anyone, he says in verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. So the conversation here is that when you speak in tongues, led by the Spirit, you're actually communicating to God. You're not communicating to other people. So in prophecy or in teaching, you're speaking to other people. But when you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking to God. Does that make sense? And it's unintelligible. You don't even know what you're saying or, or other people don't know what you're saying. Verse 3, it says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. You can kind of, you can kind of taste where Paul's going. So one of those is speaking to God, and there's this personal aspect to it. The other one has a whole lot to do with other people. We're going to talk about that more next week. Verse 4, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. So the definition of edifies is really to build up. The, so the one who speaks in tongue, kinda, it kind of builds them up spiritually. It connects them with God in a way that builds them up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church around them. He says this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be edified. Paul's saying, I'd rather you have this ability to, to speak into each other's lives as directed by the Spirit, because that actually builds each other up. So it's really this idea when we go back to this when Paul talks about for the common good, right? These gifts that we have, they're actually for the common good of each other. That the spirit actually in us animates the giftings that we have and, and, and expresses that towards the community for the common good, to build each other up. Verse six, it says, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? He's like, if I show up and I just start talking in a language that you don't understand and I don't understand, how is that going to build you up? He's like, I'd rather show up with like, a, a, you know, a, a, a teaching or some prophecy or a word of instruction that helps. And remember, the Corinthians think that this is the ultimate act of spirituality, like that this is the pinnacle. And Paul's kind of about to drop a bomb on them. And he unpacks three analogies. Uh, and his whites, this is not a helpful thing to do for the church. He says, the first analogy is music. He says this in verse 7, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? I mean, this just goes back to music theory, right? I mean, what are the things you need for, like, good music, Okay. You need, and I promise I will withhold all country music references. Okay? I know that's you guys are feeling a little raw about that, but I will pick on Nickelback. So 
Here's the thing. So if you need three, you need three things for good music, okay? <laughs> you need what? Come on. Well, I'm sorry, louder? Melody. Did I hear that? Okay, there's two. Nailed it. All from the same people. Where are the rest of you? Okay, melody, harmony, rhythm, right? And so here's the thing. I mean, it's all about, you know, three, four, and all the, all the different things when you read and music and listen to music and all that kind of sense. And it makes sense to the ear, right, when it's good. But when it's Nickelback, <laughs> just kidding. It's just the voice, really. Um, so there's, when there's no distinction between the notes and the sounds, right, and it's chaotic and messy, well, what's your reaction? Ugh, like, this has no benefit to me. Like, this doesn't do anything for me. And so that's Paul's first um, kind of analogy. His second one is a warfare analogy. He says this in verse 8, Again, if the trumpet does not sound, clear, sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So if you're in battle, and back in the day, and there was different sounds from the trumpet that told you different things to do, for instance... Charge was different than retreat. If you get those two screwed up, it's a bad day, right? And so what Paul's saying is if, if there's no clarity here, we're not moving forward at all. Um, and, then, and then the last one, he says, so is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anybody know what you're saying? You will just keep speaking into the air. And the third one, undoubtedly, verse 10, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. Uh, the word here is barbaros. When he talks about the word barbarian is where we get the word barbarian. And basically this idea is in the Greek language was the supreme intellectual language, right? And for Greek-speaking people, if someone couldn't speak Greek, we have this experience in our, in our country as well. And I think we're getting better at this, but we're like, well, if you're not going to speak English, I'm not going to listen. You know, but this idea of like people didn't speak Greek and understand Greek, then the Greek kind of aristocracy, aristocracy wouldn't pay attention to them. And, and it would just sound like bar, 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 or in our language, blah, 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 right? And so verse, verse 11, it says, if then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. Meaning it doesn't help anybody if they can't understand it. That's what Paul's getting at. So it is with you, he says, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. He's like, if you are eager for the Spirit's activity, and if you want to walk with God, and if you want to walk with the, this living and active God who, who experiences, and, and you can have experiences and encounter the Spirit of God at work, and if you want to step into the things you see on the pages of Scripture, and you want to see these things happen in your life, desire that, chase after that, like Make that part of your mission in life. Paul's saying, try to excel at the stuff that builds up the church. 
the stuff that like builds people up around you, channel that passion for encouraging all of us around you. So is Paul down on speaking in tongues? Let's see. Verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Paul's saying just, you should, you should be asking God, what, what, what am I communicating right now? And for those of you who don't have an experience with this or this is super weird for you, that's okay. Um, but this is real. And I know people who have a deep connection with God through uh, the ability to speak in a different language. Verse 14, Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Like his, his, his mind basically is kind of neutral. So what shall I do, Paul says? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So he's like, I'm not going to pick one or the other. Like, I'm going I'm to try to work, um, work my prayer with God's spirit, but also be cognizant of what is happening. And in verse 16, he says this, Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen to your thanksgiving? Which you guys don't say amen enough around here. There he is. <laughs> um, and he says, since they do not know what you are saying, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. He says, you've missed the opportunity to build other people up. And it doesn't help when they do not know what you are saying. So this is where he drops a really good-sized bomb. Imagine you are reading this letter for the first, or hearing this letter for the first time, and you're in Corinth, and, and this letter is being read out loud. And then you hear this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Like Paul's like one-upping him, right? He's like, but then he throws a caveat. Listen to this. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, the word 10,000, the number 10,000 is the highest words that you could, that's the highest number you could go in Greek. So Paul's saying, it's like when we say infinity, you know, like when you're arguing with like little kids. Um, Paul's saying, I would rather use five words that build up this church than, than go on and on and on speaking in tongues. Now, Here's Paul's philosophy. Paul wants the church to be built up. He wants the church when they gather to encourage each other and to lift each other up and to build each other up. In verse 20, he says this, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Meaning, grow up. It's time to, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop playing with toys. It's time to uh, stop just thinking and leaning into feelings and emotions. He's like, it's, it's time to, to really push forward. Now, think of, for, for those of you who are married or um, newly engaged or newly married, or maybe you're dating someone right now, there's this feeling of falling in love, right? 
like that feeling of falling in love. And, and I can tell stories with Angela and I, and um, I'm sure you guys have your falling in love stories. And, and at some point, you know, it's not like you feel that feeling all the time, right? There are times when Angela walks in the room and there's like, ooh, I get the feelings. But not all the time, right? Not all the time. Not like when we were first dating or we were first engaged, right? Now, she, she knows this. This is like, I'm sorry, babe. Um, but you know what I'm talking about, right? At, at some point, your, your love actually moves into a maturity. The maturity of the love is actually expressed in commitment and, um, and, and sacrifice and, and, and loving and serving each other when you don't feel like it or when you don't feel those feelings, right? That's what Paul is saying. It's time to move forward. It's time to grow up. And there's parallels uh, like of this with our walk with God. Sometimes some of us, um, we have those mountaintop retreat type experiences and we feel like we need to keep recreating those um, everywhere we go. And if we don't get those feelings or those experiences in a certain group of, of church uh, people or a community or certain churches, then we just pick up our bags and we move to the next one, hoping to recreate those experiences somewhere else. Paul's saying, grow up. Time to dig in. Time to change your mindset, to be steady, faithful, to serve and sacrifice, whether you feel anything or not. And, and then he, he dives into this little passage out of, uh, he actually quotes Isaiah. Listen to this. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even, but even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And he's quoting Isaiah 28. And this is really, really important. And I think it's really important for us to listen. All throughout the Old Testament, God would send prophets to, to, to change the mind and the heart of the people of Israel. And, and, and did the, the people listen to the prophets? No. And so after a certain amount of time, God just says, enough is enough. And he sends the Assyrians from the north, and he sends the Babylonians from the east, and the Israelites begin to hear Chaldean language. And it was a sign of God's judgment. It was a sign of God's judgment on Israel as she goes into, as the people of Israel goes into exile, right? And so Paul brings that story to bear on the Corinthians. And he says this in verse 22, tongues then are a sign. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So what he's saying, like a sign can be what? It can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, right? Think about the 12 plagues, right? For Pharaoh, the 12 plagues were a sign, but they were a bad sign. But for the people of Israel, they were a hopeful sign. And so what Paul is saying here is that uh, uh, tongues, like, oh, let, let's go to the 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, they will, not say, will they not say to you, are you out of your mind? So if we're all here and we're all speaking a language that no one else understands and there's new people that come into our church, what are they going to say? 
This place is crazy. This place is loco in the cabeza, right? That's another tongue. It's Spanish. <laughs> but, listen to this, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, meaning if everybody is speaking into each other's lives and, 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 and truths are being uncovered, then they are convinced of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Something happens when people encounter the work of God. And then it, get into all of that next week. But we'll climax, verse 26, Paul says, But what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction and a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everyone must be done, every, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So his whole goal is the church is built up, that the church is strengthened. Um, and then in verse 27, he lays down some ground rules, 27 and 28. Um, and then in 39, listen to this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forget, forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. There you have it. Chapter 14, crazy chapter 14, right? Now, two thoughts. Some of you are like, uh, what in the world does this have to do with me? Two thoughts. One is this. Paul says to eagerly desire the stuff the Spirit does. We've been talking about this for a number of weeks now. Paul says to orient your life and your heart and your desire and your intentionality and your purpose and your pursuit and your craving and you're hunting towards the stuff that the Spirit is doing. Eagerly desire that. This is why we need to blow up the paradigm of, spirit, the paradigm of spiritual gifts about something you have or you don't have. See, you have, you have a say as to what God's Spirit does in and through your life. Now, a lot of people think that they're like a tree in the forest, just waiting for the lightning to strike them, like the spirit to do something, right? When in reality, our picture is more like God is a father, and you and I are sons and daughters. And if we want God to move, and if we want God to work through us and in us and for other people, then we have a say in if that happens or not. And we can be eagerly intentional about what God is doing in our lives, in our families, in our communities. God is not some autocratic machine in the sky, but a father who loves his children as image bearers, right? We are image bearers of God, a God who responds, who listens to prayer, who waits for you to turn around and reciprocate. A God who wants you to seek him. Uh, and, and something happens when we seek God. And the back and forth and the give and take of the relationship as God is after us. Eagerly desiring what the Spirit is doing. Second thing I think is really important for us is this. And we're going to close. Eagerly desiring the work of the Spirit, but also work for the strengthening of the church. 
work for the strengthening of the church. Okay? Now, what I said to you earlier today is really on my heart because I just want you to know that everything we want to do, and we're not perfect, is for the strengthening of this community. We want you to be connected. We want you to know people and be known. Here's the thing that the Corinthians had going for them. They felt connected to each other, at least. I mean, we can read the story, and man, man, the Corinthians are nuts, and they're crazy, and they're chaotic. Yeah, well, at least they knew each other. <laughs> like, we don't know each other. We don't make room in our lives for each other. Paul's saying, eagerly work towards building up and strengthening the church. You know what the funny thing is, is the Corinthians had a real chaotic worship service, you know, but, it, but it's like the pendulum is way over here. But for some of us, we've experienced the pendulum way over here, and it's really ordered and safe and comfortable. I've been to pastor's conference where they're like, hey, we got to be seeker-friendly and make sure that no one feels weird. Oh, I think the Spirit wants us to feel weird. I think the Spirit wants to do something and rattle our cages a bit, right? So what would it look like to like, push into our church? Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you as a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an inter interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. I love Paul's vision for the church. It's participatory and collaborative. It's not, what did I get out of it, right? It's like, it's like I'm ready to pour into this place. It's like when you say, hey, I'm getting ready for church, it has more to do with what you're bringing to us versus blow-drying your hair, right? Like, what are you bringing today? Like, when you walk in, how are you going to encourage somebody else? Who are you looking for to pray for? How are you going to build this place up? Right? See, getting ready for church is something totally different. How will we bless? How will we serve? How will we push into? Because here's the deal. I'm an American. You're an American. And guess what? We're consumeristic. We're narcissistic. We don't like to say that, but it's true. We're individualistic. It's the air we breathe. It's just the air we breathe. And that inertia bleeds into how we think about God. And sometimes we think God is there for us to meet our needs, to exist for me, to make me happy. It bleeds into our marriages. Uh, you're not really pulling your weight, so I feel like I have license, you know. Um, bleeds into the church. Bleeds into the ch different churches that we attend. Um, we, we, I, I, I see Instagram posts all the time, um, like a selfie at church with lights and smoke and everything, and someone saying, got my Jesus fix. Like, I think Paul would, like, jump off a bridge. <laughs> like, that would be a letter for sure for Paul. 
what is it? Paul's vision for the church. For instance, deciding for, here's, here's, here's one that's really important for me and for us. Like there's things that I don't like, I'm not comfortable doing. I'm not a big singer guy. But I think it's really important that I don't pick parts of the service to attend and not attend. Because there's something about what God is trying to do in me and through me and, and from others to me that is really important. See, we follow a Jesus who gave himself away, that on the cross is life, right? That paradox. And, and, and Jesus shows us what it means to be human. And all of his journey through life and to the cross, what would it look like if we lived like that every day, like if we had a fresh set of eyes and we were asking, like when we're coming to church and we're gathering as a group of people, what is my part to play? What does God's spirit want to do through me? Imagine if we all had that mindset. Imagine if we all showed up when we gathered, whether it's in small groups and coffee shops and living rooms, or if it's the main gathering, and we all showed up and we said, what is my part to play? How am I going to push into this place? How am I going to build this place up? Who can I build up? Who can I strengthen? Who can I encourage? Who can I pray for? Who can I root for? Imagine what kind of a community that would be, right? It's amazing when John says, you will know, people, this world will know that you are my people, you are my followers, because you love each other. May you and may I and may we live that out, right? Let me pray.